I actually said to one of the executives on the phone, come to Atlanta and fire me and hung up on them. Oh boy. <laughs> I still want that spinoff. That's just Styles going into the FBI and solving all these supernatural cases. The Styles files. Which maybe I shouldn't tell you about, but screw it, I can't. I feel like he owes Jackson a bitch slap. <laughs> I think the word you were looking for with the storytelling was toit. <laughs> Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Calissa Mollis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin and Will Wallace. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about Season one, episode 12, Codebreaker, the season one finale. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Our alpha patron howlets this week go to Grace Gerlach and Anelia Hiremans. Thanks, guys, for supporting the show. Codebreaker was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy. In this episode, Styles reluctantly helps Peter track Derek. Derek finally escapes the hunters, only for him and Scott to find themselves up against Kate and Allison. The sheriff shares that the police have confirmed the hailfire was arson. Styles comes to a terrifying conclusion and shares it with Chris. Lydia lies in the hospital after Peter's attack, neither dying nor becoming a werewolf, perhaps becoming something else altogether. Styles, Jackson, and Chris join the others at the old Hale house for the final showdown between the Argents, the surviving Hales, and everyone else caught in the crossfire. This week's favorite quote comes from a scene between Peter and Styles, with Peter saying, his username is Allison, his password is also Allison, to which Styles responds, you still want him in your pack? <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's such Fantastic. a good moment because you see on Peter's face where he is, you could see the gears turning and he's like, he's like, no, what have I done? Like, but I, I truly, I, I have regrets. It was like Calissa had said in a previous episode that it is pure sunk cost fallacy with, with Peter yeah. and Scott. Yeah. If only Peter had just been like, I'm out. <laughs> it was that, like I'm gonna <laughs> yeah backflip right out of the situation. <laughs> he just backflip exactly. <laughs> out of the scene, and it was like I'm gonna have to vet these people more often. I really got to look into their like Facebook pages and see what's going on here because, or just be like, hey, how about no lovelorn 
high schoolers. Just use right. someone else. Find someone else. Or Jackson, I guess. He's the only right. person out of everybody who could probably handle this the best, you know? And it's like, buddy, you've made the terrible choice, but too, too late now. Too uh, late now. Yes. And our uh, our honorable mention of the week comes from the very end of the episode when Derek, having ripped out his uncle's throat, killing him, turns around and his eyes glow red and he says, I'm the alpha now. And it's pretty sweet. It's a great moment. The music swells yes. and it's just like, oh, shit. It's definitely one of those things where it's one of those moments in a final episode where you're like, may I have season two now, please? Because this is going to be good. (laughs) So it's just, it's fantastic. Very good. Peter lets Stiles call Jackson to come get Lydia on the lacrosse field before dragging Stiles away. Because, you know, Peter's just such a good person. Such a good person. He's so magnanimous about it too. Yes, we start this episode with Peter just being an upstanding gentlemen <laughs> still in that leather duster that needs to be <laughs> thrown in that fire barrel along with yes. that body <laughs> yes it does uh-huh well when you're in a coma for that long you don't get to keep up with like the latest men's style like what is chris hemsworth wearing this week not a leather duster chris goes off on kate for telling allison about werewolves but kate insists allison needed to know when Chris informs her that the sheriff can connect all of the murders to the hailfire, Kate says that means that the alpha must be someone connected to Derek and that the two of them are likely to come after the Argents next, since they've always blamed the Argents for the fire for no reason at all. Right. Yes. But I feel like watching her face during that conversation when he's she's like, oh, Derek's definitely going to come after us. And he's like, well, it seems like the murders are all connected to the hailfire. And she's like, yeah, which they've totally blamed us for, so my thing still works. <laughs> right. I totally, though, didn't. I was with, uh, you know, I have a high schooler who can vouch for me that night. Oh. Yeah, she probably does. I mean, she probably does, but yeah. still still some ouch in there. But, all right. No, she did not come up with an alibi because I feel like she was too cocky and also she wanted to be there to watch it burn. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I think that's true. I but I that. also think she could probably manipulate someone into being her alibi if she Oh could. yeah, she totally could. Definitely. Distraught, Allison tries to get her mother to tell her more about what's going on, but Victoria says she isn't ready to know. But maybe I'm wired wrong, but I would be f- psyched if I found out werewolves were real. Oh yeah. Hundo percent. You know, I, I'd be like, I regret all the years my life was boring as shit. It would be I, cool, but I would be a little scared, I think. Because, like, monsters. Monsters. would be. I mean, I'd be totally into it, but also monsters. Victoria prepares to send Kate and Allison away so Chris can focus on getting Scott to help him find the Alpha. Meanwhile, Peter takes Styles to his nurse's car, where the nurse's body is stuffed in the trunk. He tells Styles to enter Scott's username and password so they can track his phone and find Derek. But Styles says he doesn't know them. Peter resorts to some light violence to convince him. Those hail boys love beating up on poor Styles. It's like a they family do. tradition. Oh, poor Styles. This is a reminder, though, for all the teenage listeners out there: don't have 
just, you know, your crush or, you know, if you currently have styles as your password, go change that change right now. Change it. Yeah. This, this has been an info security sidebar. <laughs> While interrogating Jackson about the attack on Lydia, the sheriff is shocked to learn that it was Styles who took her to the formal. Styles is the one who texted Jackson, right? Why doesn't he just say that? I know. He should have just turned his phone and been like, here's the text from Styles that was like, hey, I was with Lydia. And now she's super injured. Come get her. I'm also kind of surprised he didn't tell Sheriff, Styles didn't tell Sheriff that he was taking Lydia to the formal. I know he knew he didn't think it was like a date date officially, but he's been so into Lydia. I would think he'd be so excited. He would be like talking about nonstop. I mean, have you met Styles? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I thought maybe it was sort of a result of the events of Wolfsbane that like, after hyping up the game so much, he was like, maybe I just shouldn't have these kinds of conversations with my dad so that I'm not setting him up for disappointment. That's, that's a good That's a good uh, interpretation of that. Yeah, that's really good. At the same time, Peter and Stiles realize that the hunters are keeping Derek under the hail house and the irony is just delicious. Right. So the hunters found Derek at the hail house and then they were like, well, we're here. <laughs> Might as well. I feel right in the basement, right? That was Kate. That was totally Kate. I don't think any of the hunters, any of the other hunters were like, let's do this. She was like, we're going to keep him here. Why? Don't worry about it. (laughs) I mean, that's what what that is. Yeah, I could see that. Because we know from the, the flashbacks, the images that we get, the visions of the fire, that at least it looked like uh, there were a bunch of people in the house who died in the basement. Yeah. So because yeah, you see like the hands and stuff through the exactly the, the thing. Yeah. So it, it feels like, you know, not only was she going to torture him for, for information, but it was like also we're gonna do it in your family's graveyard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean that's all Kate. Man, it's just all Kate. So true monster. Remember the good times we had here, Derek? Oh, God. Allison comes to the hospital to see Lydia, and she she's still very upset and overwhelmed after seeing Scott turn into a monster. Uh, and I think that's the most serious expression I've ever seen under a messy bun. So as she's looking in the window... Um, of Lydia's hospital room. She has this vision of Lydia like writhing on her hospital bed covered in blood. It's a fantastic shot. Oh my God. I love this. It has to be one of my top moments in the first season. Yes. Just because it's pure horror. Yeah. Yes. It's Russell Mulcahy for you. Yeah. I, I, I love teen supernatural shows and stuff but i feel like so often even with vampires werewolves everything a lot of shows don't embrace the horror aspect of it they really like just romanticize it and i just love how we get something like so dark traumatic and just covered in blood in this scene and it really goes well with how we see Lydia whenever she falls when she's bitten. It's nothing like how Scott was, what happened when Scott was bitten. I think that is something the show never forgets 
where it's like, yes, there's romance in this show. We kind of romanticize stuff, but it's like, it's a show about monsters that have very sharp claws and teeth. And when that meets human flesh, it doesn't look good, you know? And so that's definitely something we never shied away from. It, it does. I, I do think that that is one of the great things about Teen Wolf as a teen show, like you said, Calissa, is that it doesn't shy away from the scare. Right. Peter offers Styles the bite. Styles says he doesn't want it, but Peter says he can hear the lie in Styles' heartbeat. The bite is a gift. Does anyone <laughs> want to take this gift? Fun fact, Peter Styles is really high on the AO3 ship list. You don't see a lot of Scott Styles though, maybe because Scott spends so much time just whining about girls. But we do see a ship with Scott and a male character that is not yet introduced. And we can discuss that at the time. That's true. Do you guys believe what Peter says? The lie? Yeah. That he hears a lie? Absolutely. I do. He has no reason to lie about I, I, lying. I also feel like the way he phrases it is very specific because he says that Styles' heartbeat spiked when he said, I don't want. It was not spiking when he said, to be like you. So to me, what that means is that like, there is part of him that wants to be a werewolf, but he's certain that he doesn't want Peter to bite him because he doesn't want to be like Peter. Yeah. It's too perceptive of a comment for Peter to have come up with it just on his understanding of Styles as a person because Peter's super self-centered. Yeah. Yes, he is. He is extremely self-involved. So yeah, I, I think that he is telling the truth but I also don't think that Styles was entirely lying. And that's why it's a little more complicated than just like, that was a flat out lie. It was like, well, you know, there was a spike on certain words. I think part of Styles is envious of Scott and does wish that he could be harder, better, faster, stronger and get the girl and all those things. But there's also a big part of him that's really wary of becoming a werewolf and becoming someone like Peter. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't think that's going to happen to Scott. Like, I mean, it's like being an asshole is not contagious. I think he is worried not about Scott. I think he's worried about maybe there's something inside him. Yes, exactly. He might unlock that worries him. Like, because I think he knows if he did withhold the information that Derek was chained up there and they could go rescue him, maybe he's worried about what he could become because he knows there's a part of him, unlike Scott, that acts on necessity. Mm. Right. Exactly. So it's and not. It's not a word. I, I, yeah, that, that's, that was my exact thinking is it's not, he's not worried about what the bite will do to Scott, but he is a little bit worried about what the bite could do to himself. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a power corrupts thing. It's a power reveals thing. Exactly. Right. Got it. Unearths potentially something that could have been buried otherwise, or at least mitigated otherwise. Yeah. So that's what I think. Considered that that's, that's, that's really cool. We should be writers or something. I know y'all should (laughs) really good at it. So styles runs to the hospital to check on Lydia 
His dad tells him that in addition to blood loss, there's something else. She keeps going into shock, almost as if her body is having an allergic reaction to something. The sheriff also reveals that they got a key witness proving that the hail fire was arson and that the crime was organized by a woman who would now likely be in her late 20s. After hearing this, Style starts piecing things together. I wanted to see so much more of that in the first season instead of yeah. it being this kind of like he's gotten the final details that he needs openly from the sheriff in this scene and it's the final pieces falling into place. It would have been way more interesting to see him kind of following the breadcrumbs of this mystery before finally putting it all together in the yeah. finale. Um, I understand yeah. that he's not the main character, Scott's the main character, but it would have been an interesting runner throughout the first season that while Scott is trying to juggle his normal teenage life with all this new Wolfie stuff, Styles is there trying to help Scott do that thing, but also solve this six-year-old mystery. Yeah. No, that would have been really interesting just as the season's going on and we're getting just bits of information, just little bits of things that you can then have a moment where we reveal that Styles has put it all together and you see he's taken just these very fragmentary pieces of information and created a picture out of it. And that would have been a lot of fun to see. That definitely yes. would have been cool. Scott follows Derek's howl to find him under the Hale house, but he refuses to help Derek out of the chains until Derek promises to help protect the Argents from Peter. Scott, you suck. I think this is super unfair of Scott because like, I understand Derek's a dick. I get it. He is. But also Derek has saved his ass a lot. many a time. Yeah. A number of times. <laughs> through the course of this first season. And maybe at first it would have been passable for Scott to be like, Derek is such an asshole. All he wants to do is threaten me. He's never done anything for me and he's just being selfish. But then, you know, Derek was like, if you keep doing all this super obvious shit, the hunters are going to come for you. And he's like, whatever, Derek. And then that's exactly what happens. Yeah. He's like, if you keep doing this stuff, you're going to wolf out in front of someone and reveal the secret. He's like, whatever, shut up, Derek. And then that's exactly what happens. Uh, he's like, if you don't pump the brakes on your relationship. You're probably going to lose your shit and come really close to hurting Allison. He's like, whatever, Derek, that's exactly what happened. Like all those things come to fruition and kind of vindicate what Derek has been saying. And Derek is there each step of the way to try to protect Scott from those eventualities. I mean, Derek is the only reason that Scott didn't kill Jackson and Allison during the events of Lunatic. Yeah. So he kind of owes Derek for that one. And that was right after Scott had thrown Derek under the bus for all these murders that Scott knew he didn't commit. And Derek still showed up to like haul his wolfy ass off the top of Jackson's car before he could do something that he couldn't take back. And Scott finally shows up to where Derek is, sees that he's in a pretty bad position, I think is an understatement. And then he's like, okay, but I'm not going to let you out unless you promise to help my girlfriend's family. Mm -hmm. Not even just Allison, because Peter had said, I have no intention of going after Allison. Like, I don't care about her. Yeah. 
I don't believe that he would like that Peter would go out of his way to protect Allison or anything like obviously not but I also don't think he'd really go out of his way to kill Allison I think that he considers Allison mostly irrelevant yeah she wasn't to-do list it it is it, it does show great restraint on Peter's part where he's just not like if their last name is Argent or if they've ever looked at an Argent ever spoken to one shared correspondence your favorite color all, silver yeah all dead <laughs> just dead type of Can thing you take and, a french course <laughs> <laughs> right exactly and uh it's like the entire french class <laughs> and beacon hill's eye is just murdered um but yeah i mean it is showing like surprising restraint from this character because he's just like i don't care because she's like she didn't she wasn't there she didn't yeah. do this thing i know she didn't do this thing so i'm not gonna hurt her you know, which is just incredible, especially since where we know this character goes later in the show where he's just like, I'll kill whoever the fuck I want type of thing. So I don't care. And uh, so, yeah, it is it is. It is great for this character just to see how um, committed to a very narrow view of uh, revenge he's sticking with. But also speaking of narrow views, uh, Scott's just myopia towards allison is ridiculous and it just it's like it's a lot that he won't help derek out of the chains and then maybe have this negotiation elsewhere he's like no this is like a quid pro quo you you give me the quid before you get the quo and the quid is we're saving my girlfriend's family from your uncle and the quo is i don't leave you here to get tortured by hunters so yeah including by the way the family that scott's asking him to protect it's a lot to ask somebody to protect a family that was just electrocuting them well it's just like i want you to protect the argents i mean the ones who are currently electrocuting me with the (laughs) device that's those argents like the ones that I'm here, those, you know. They're very so. vulnerable. <laughs> like, it's a lot. And yeah, I'm, I'm like, Scott, I know that your priorities are inflexible, but like, come, come on. on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit much. Be Strange credulity. Yes, yes. To say the least. So during this conversation, uh, Derek tells Scott, you're not in love. You're 16. You're a child. I wonder who that sounds like. <laughs> I feel like with Derek, so much of what we get about him, we have to extrapolate from what he says to other people. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of that because it's like, it would probably be easier and more effective just to be like, yeah, I don't care if you're in love with her, but like, I'm not helping save her family. They're electrocuting me, but he's really stuck on trying to pull the wool from Scott's eyes. Yeah. About this relationship being something that is healthy and safe for him. Think about all the other conversations Scott and Derek have had. I mean, Derek is usually just very straightforward to the point sometimes resigned, sometimes indifferent to a lot of Scott's like, no, Scott, you can't like just go date Allison. You know, do you care more about like chemistry than killing someone? All of the stuff, like a lot of times he removes emotion from it, mm-hmm. but in the scenes where he gets very emotional and particularly angry, like towards Jackson, towards Scott, 
and he starts like monologuing towards them, that's when you know he's talking about himself and trying to explain it to them the best he can. Right. Without admitting to himself, that's what he's talking about. For a yeah. given value of monologuing, that is Derek right. Hale's version, which means three sentences in a row. Yeah. But yes, when he kind of lets his guard down a little bit and gets more emotional when he's speaking to them and more like vehement. Yeah. It feels like, like he's not even really talking to them or he is, but he's actually channeling something that he feels very strongly. Right. While Stiles and Jackson prepare to leave the hospital to find Scott, Chris corners them and threatens them for Scott's location. Stiles says he hasn't seen him since the dance and turns to Jackson, who mostly looks overwhelmed. I have trouble lying to statuesque dilfs. You know that about me. (laughs) Jackson, who, you know, we see him so composed at the start of the season. He really starts to like lose it at the end here. You know, he's just a mess, a hot mess. He is a hot mess. As someone who seems like, you know, he spent his life like, having like perfect composure, we can just see it slipping away and he has no idea. Like he's totally in over his head. It's because he wants something so bad and he feels like it's, he's losing his grasp on that thing. Like he, he wants the bite and it's all slipping through his fingers and he's falling apart. I disagree. Okay. I don't, well, I mean, I think that's partially it, but I think that he's realized that to a degree Scott's right. Not that he wants to admit it, but, there's so much more than just what he thought was werewolf would be. Like, it's not just about, I get to be super awesome during lacrosse and, you know, I can heal. I run fast and super hearing and all that. It's like, no, there are people who want to kill Scott. Scott's in danger. This isn't going to be an just easy cushed life. Yeah. What do you think changes his mind in this episode? Because if if that is true, and he's admitting to himself that everything Scott's been saying is correct, what pushes him well, back in the other direction to want I to think get the bite des- in the end? I think his desire wins out. His desire trumps it, but he's still he's scared when he goes to Derek. Yeah, yeah, you can see it even when eyes. he's getting what he wants. That's yeah. true. That's true. He's scared, but he's like, okay, he has two choices. He can stay being normal Jackson or he can embrace what he believes to be like this better world and one that Scott has like yes it's not perfect there is danger but I think he still believes he would handle it better than Scott and I think he still thinks it's the key to getting what he wants so he's like I will just I'll just fake my way through this confidence of like getting it until I actually have it okay I buy that he's destabilized because for the first time in his life, he's experiencing doubt Mm -hmm. about what he wants. You know, he sees being a werewolf as perfection and perfection is the one thing he has always wanted. And anything that makes you doubt the one thing you've always desired, that's, that's going to be pretty destabilizing. That's going to feel like the foundation is crumbling under you. And I think what happens over the course of the episode is that he's sort of teetering on the precipice of letting go mm-hmm. of this thing that he's always wanted. 
And he takes a step back and says, no, I still want it. And that's why he goes to Derek and he's like, yep, I still want this. Even after, you know, being threatened at gunpoint by a hunter and fleeing from the hail house under a hail of bullets and all these things, I still want it. Makes sense to me. Scott explains to Derek that Deaton told him Peter's nurse came into the vet clinic asking for a copy of the picture of a deer with a spiral carved into it, which was what lured Laura back to Beacon Hills in the first place, which shows that killing her to become the Alpha was his plan all along. Enraged, Derek escapes the chains without Scott's help. Finally. Right? It was like, could this conversation not have taken place literally anywhere else? Like, at any time, Hunter reinforcements could have rushed into that room and it would have been like, what the f*** are you knuckleheads doing in here? Like, oh, just just arguing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> having a conversation about how our priorities are not on the same page. Instead of giving Chris information, Styles accuses Kate of being the one who murdered the Hales. Yeah, this this moment is huge because in addition to being the first person who actually articulates that Kate is responsible for the fire, he's also the first person who's not Derek to be angry about it. Yeah. Or I guess yes. who's not a hail, right? To be yeah. to be upset by it, which is insane when you actually stop and think about it, because it's like somewhere in the vicinity of nine to ten people died in that fire mm-hmm. by burning alive and it yeah. was murder and there were children and like nobody's really mad about that sequence of events except yeah. for the survivors and it so it, it's a big deal that this happens that it's styles who says this and who says it right to chris's face yes he just going back to styles the hero he He's so angry as he says it. And I love that moment. It it kind of reminds me of the previous episode where we saw uh, Peter and Stiles over Lydia's body. And Stiles was scared, but also very angry at Peter because of what he'd just done to Lydia. In this moment, I feel like there's no fear. He's just angry. He knows Chris could hurt him. He knows Chris could kill him just as easily as Peter. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not an established murderer of humans, but Kate is, and she's his sister. So it he could easily have been hurt or killed by Chris, but he still says it. Mm-hmm. He's like spits it out at Chris. Like, this yeah. is your family. This is, you think you live by a code but you can't say that everyone in your family does because this is what Kate has done. Yeah. And it's just such an incredible moment and a moment that Derek Shippers love because yes, he is the first person who actually seems to care. I mean, we never do get Scott caring. I feel like Mm -mm. Scott becomes a hero, but he never seems to actually care about what happened to the Hales. Yeah. He's never like, I'm sorry about that time that I said they had a reason for murdering your family. That wasn't cool, man. I feel well, like if I could change one thing about Scott and Derek's relationship, which which I do like towards the end, I wish that Scott had taken the time to apologize to Derek and that we had seen that. Yeah, that would have been really good. That would have been really good. Because this is this weird 
blind spot that Scott has that's all Allison's fault. But um, not really. No, no, no. I it's, feel it's, like he takes Derek for granted. Yeah. I don't think he really looks at Derek as like a person. He's just this force that exists in the bubble of Scott's world that he doesn't like. And yeah, their relationship gets better. But it's just that still, even when that happens, it's like, he's kind of a dick. Derek doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, I yes, feel like yes. The Derek line. doesn't count. And it, it's really unfortunate because, I mean, I, Scott is a hero. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. later on stuff. He's a good person. He's a good moral person. He's a hero. He wants to save people, you know, like he, but it's just like this blind spot never goes away. Like it just never goes away. And I, I wonder if like Allison hadn't been in the picture. Let's say the entire first season happened without Allison. Like the Argents are still there, but not Allison. I feel like it would have gone differently because I, I feel like he wouldn't have had this, these blinders on for a particular or mm-hmm. for a particular person. It just kind of blocks out a whole other stimulus. That stimulus being facts about how <laughs> fires and murder work. But, um, you know, so it, it's just, you know, obviously it's not Alice's fault, but um, yeah, it's just this weird thing that even, yeah, this is a spoiler, but whatever. Um, it doesn't really <laughs> go away. I love what you were saying about, uh, Calissa and Kate about Styles' anger that he's angry that a thing happened and no one else is angry about it and I feel like I love all that moment but it does kind of feel like it comes out of nowhere because we haven't had his piecing together of stuff and I, I really feel like this moment is great D.O.B. and and um and JR act the shit out of this scene. Like, just, it's great. Because it's finally, I mean, it's this righteous anger coming from Styles, but it's Chris finally, someone yelling in Chris's face all the stuff that has been in his brain mm-hmm. that he has not been able to tell, to, to speak himself. And I just wish, I feel like this moment would have been even more... Um, potent. Earned, or potent, if there, if if we had seen Styles putting stuff together and being like, all the information is here, just no one looked. Like, right. no one ever decided to just take a step back and see all the, it's like all these weird stuff, like some weird things happened, you know, that are really unaccountable or unexplainable, and if someone had just been like, this is weird, I should get a board and put it all up there and see how it makes sense or something, if someone had just done that, like, this would have been dealt with years ago, but instead, no, I did anything. And that's what makes, that's where all this righteous anger is coming from that. Yeah. He's like, I did it. And I have nothing invested in this. I just saw something weird and was like, that's weird. Huh? I need to fall down a rabbit hole and yeah. stare at it for nine hours. Exactly. So, but yes, that's <laughs> Which I feel like it's probably how it happened. Yeah, probably. Steps, so. I still want that spinoff. That's just like styles going into like, the FBI and solving all these like supernatural cases, but the styles files, the styles files. Oh my God. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But unlike, you know, a lot of other shows, I feel like he would take a more compassionate look at things and it wouldn't just to be about like the supernatural creatures being like hunted down or blamed for things. It would be like, this is what humans do to supernatural creatures too when they don't deserve it and him helping yeah. protect them. Yeah. And that's the spinoff I want. But That'd be 
it's not gonna happen i'm sure but because dob is just he's too amazing he's gotta be out there out winning an oscar one of these days what i wanted to say about the scene a, a couple more things one is that i feel like styles by being angry the way he is and sort of throwing it in chris's face a little bit which i think needs to be done he's also the only person that kind of holds Chris accountable for willful ignorance. Yeah. Yes. Because like Chris did have all the information he needed to figure this out more so than probably anybody else in the immediate vicinity, but he didn't want to like think of that conversation with Kate at the end of, I think it's at the end of magic bullet. Yes. You know, where she, she's saying some like really red flaggy shit. She's like flicking a match. Like she doesn't even like, let me just, complete this metaphor by literally creating fire in my hands in front of your face like he could have but he didn't want to see it and i like that styles it's not just like it's not your fault but your sister's crazy yeah it's like it's a little bit your fault because you could see it i know you could yeah but you didn't want to and then the other thing is styles is actually the first character on the show to implicate Kate personally in the Mm -hmm. fire because also in Magic Bullet, what Derek says is the Argents did this. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say Kate. Yeah. Um, And I think he knows that it was Kate, although he probably thinks that it was like along with other Argents, but he doesn't say her name in that scene. If he says Kate did this, he admits his part in it that he got used was, and that, and the information she got out of him is what led directly to the hail fire. It's maybe it's just kind of like self-preservation, like on a psyche level or something like that, where it's just the Argens did it. Not one person who I had a direct relationship with. Escaping the basement from the hail house, Derek and Scott run from the hunters, but Derek feels like something is wrong. And Scott warns him not to say that it was too easy because after all, it wasn't easy to find Derek. But didn't he just howl and then follow Derek's answering howl? Yes. Yeah, it was actually pretty easy. <laughs> it was super easy. He's like, he just went to the top of the top of the the great rock of Beacon Hills <laughs> and did, you know, the whole nah, and then Derek responded with his own howl and scott was like got it and then followed it it was like it wasn't that hard what made it hard was when scott got there and decided to like really push for the the least likely uh compliance scenario (laughs) of like yeah you you have to protect the argents from your own uncle that i mean that made it hard i guess but the actual finding him it was it was like two shots (laughs) <laughs> Kate and Allison shoot Derek and Scott with arrows and flash bombs. So Derek might have actually had good reason to feel like something was afoot. Also, when the flash bomb comes flying at them, Derek really does do his best to give Scott some warning so that he can escape once again, because that that's Derek's mode is to be very rude and grumpy and eye-rolly. And then as soon as the shit hits the fan, he's like, save yourself. He he does <laughs> a lot of pushing Scott out of the way. You know, it's, it, for as 
horribly as Scott treats him, like, I feel like Scott just really doesn't understand that he would have gotten like a crossbow bolt to the face, like so soon. If, if Derek had, if Derek had been like, you're a dick, I'm leaving you. And he just got shot the head. And that's the end of the show because yep. that's what would have happened. Yeah, uh, Come on, Scott. Getting back to crossbow bolts and hunters and Kate and Allison trying to kill characters that we love. You can say a lot of things about Teen Wolf. Maybe some of them are bad. Maybe some of them are good. But the one thing you can't say is that we did not know how to film people walking in slow motion and make it look beautiful <laughs> and amazing and perfect and beautiful and amazing. Because Seriously, it always like, does. The slow-mo on Teen Wolf is so artful and beautiful. Oh, so and I when I see slow motion in anything else, I'm always like, ugh. <laughs> you are not how many flames per second was that <laughs> no it's great there's um there's always the show just excels at it from the pilot like just like scott leaping out the window and landing in the yard just a big explosion of water around him and all that it's just perfect it's so good everyone you know jonathan hall who shot the first two seasons and then moving on to dave daniels who shot the remainder of the show they just knew exactly what they were doing when it came to stuff like that. And there are just so many great shots of people walking in slow motion. It totally looks like Allison went home and did her hair. You were talking about her messy bun in the previous scene. It looks very yeah. different here. She and then like, it, it, it looks quite quaffed. Yeah. At this point. She had to style it for this. Yeah. Well, Kate like, picked if I'm going to be marching back into Scott's life, I'm going to be looking fierce. There you go. <laughs> There you go. No, she looks great. And then I'm looks... gonna shoot him in the face. <laughs> I hope there's not a sour wolf there who will threaten to kill him and then push him out of the way of my crossbow bolts. <laughs> <laughs> Though Kate had told Allison that they were only going to catch the werewolves, Kate is ready to kill them until Chris interrupts her, saying that he knows what she did six years ago. She broke the hunter's code, nous chassons ceux qui nous chasse, or we hunt those who hunt us. Finally, all those red flags, which were basically littering the ground like red solo cups after a frat party, <laughs> are finally being acknowledged by the other Argents. Yes. It's about time, too. My God. Chris, how old are you? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Peter shows up and grabs Kate by the throat because I guess Peter was just standing there watching all of this to see how it might play out. I oh, actually yeah. find that believable for his character. No, he's like hiding behind a tree and he's like watching and listening and he's like, gotta make this moment perfect. Dropping eaves. <laughs> he's dropping yeah. all the eaves. He was totally thinking, what's the exact perfect moment for me to make my entrance? What's the most dramatic way I can do this? Right. Why won't someone say something pithy and snarky so that right. I can, you know, swoop in with a flourish? Yeah. And then Chris shows up with family drama and he's like, jackpot. <laughs> yeah he forces her to apologize for the hailfire in order to save allison kate apologizes and peter tears out her throat this is a okay. great moment it it is i kind of wish she hadn't apologized when I was watching this the, the first time and I didn't know whether she was going to say it my very first thought in the millisecond that goes by before she says that she's sorry. 
my brain immediately went, that is not this character. She will not apologize. And this is going to be a moment that's really crushing to Allison because she has coped with so many huge revelations recently. Werewolves are real. Her boyfriend is one of them. Also, her family has hunted them for generations. There's a lot happening in Allison's head right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I still feel like one of the few things still capable of shaking Allison to her core would be her beloved aunt refusing to apologize for murder, even to save her life. But it feels so Kate to me that like, oh yeah, I like Allison. I'm fond of Allison. You know, she's family, but she won't apologize. (laughs) She'll do anything for love, but she won't do that. This moment in the story is like, this is revealing everything about Kate. Like the people who love her, you know, we know, we know, you know, the audience knows, but now it's time for people who love and know her to get the full picture and there's, I feel like there's no reason to pull a punch exactly. when it comes. Like you're already, this isn't character assassination. This is all character revelation. But it's just like you've already done the damage. I don't know why you would have a half measure here. You know, just have the character be completely who she is. And yeah. Peter's like, unless you apologize, I'm going to kill your niece. And she's just like, no. You know, yeah, so- I, I feel like love to Kate Argent is I would think for a second about apologizing. I would decide I'm not going to f- do it because I stand by every single one of those murders. Yeah. But I'd consider it for a moment. And that's love. Yeah. And then I feel like if she had refused, he should have killed Allison and made Kate watch it. Just to really drive home the fact that just to see for sure she doesn't care. A big old werewolf fight ensues, and Jackson and Styles join the fray using a self-igniting Molotov cocktail, courtesy of Lydia's expertise, to take down the Alpha. It's actually really befitting that it's yeah. this, it's it's Peter's like fear. It's like we we don't really go into it. I think it's like a fear for him, but it's like the thing that did him that messed him up the first time is the thing that kind of brings him down the second time. That's that's cool. Scott wolfs out and Allison approaches him and actually starts to accept him with his wolf face, which is very sweet and beauty and the beastie, but I feel like she could have apologized for like shooting him and stuff. Or just don't apologize. We all know this. <laughs> That's not in their code. <laughs> it's a very cute uh, face. I don't know why she would just accept it. I know it's not hard. It's not hard to right. accept. It's it's a wolf puppy face. I'd be like, who's my little wolfie? Yeah. You are. <laughs> Derek prepares to deal the killing blow. So he's okay, I guess, after all. I mean, I think Kate had no actual intention of killing him. She was just going to circle back later and f- with him some, as she always does. I, I think that's true. Scott tries to convince Derek to let him kill Peter instead in the hopes that the rumor Derek heard was true and that would allow Scott to be cured of his werewolf affliction. But Derek claws out Peter's throat and declares himself the new alpha. And it's a beautiful moment. It is it's, a great moment. It's a great moment, as we talked about in the uh, favorite quote section. It's really good. It's really good. And I just, 
wanted to be like, I need season two in my veins. Right now. <laughs> so, good stuff. Scott and Styles find out that Lydia's bite still hasn't healed. She's not a werewolf, but she's not dying either. She's something else. Ooh. Ooh. I what that's going to mean. Very exciting. It makes endless possibilities where it's just like, if a werewolf bites somebody, they don't die. They become a werewolf. And then Teen Wolf is like, or do they? Or do they? See what happens. Yeah. Jackson goes to Derek and says that since he helped take care of the alpha problem, Derek owes him the bite. He does owe it. I feel like he owes Jackson a bitch slap. (laughs) (laughs) But Jackson's just like, I'm popular and handsome. What do I have? (laughs) I have nothing but my popularity and good looks, okay? And my family's money. And my money. Also, a loving family, by the way. (laughs) A loving family with a lot of money, a very attractive girlfriend who really cares about me. I mean, my life is terrible. Man. But Derek does give Jackson what he wants. He does. That he bites him. I like that he bites him. I feel like it looks a little cartoonish it's, or something whenever he goes in for the bite like the it, like the, his jaw like they kind of like i don't know they yeah. cgi something there and it, yeah mm. they should have just given him the fake mm-hmm. teeth and that and because they wanted to go from like human teeth to monster right. teeth they should have just the cut should have just been he already got the teeth that's yeah yeah i agree i just i i love him biting him but just like the actual what we see it's just one of those things where you know, I think they did so much amazing stuff with the money they had, but that's something where I feel like they should have gone practical. Mm-hmm. All the money can only go to one place, you know, and I feel like it went towards but, some of that stuff. I mean, the fight with Peter is incredible where you see Peter's face shifting as Scott is punching him. Yeah. Oh my God. I absolutely love that. But then, yeah, I, I feel like they just kind of stuck this in there as like a final note that we didn't need after a very strong episode. Yeah. I agree. agree. Wrapping up the first season of Teen Wolf, uh, Chris and Victoria hand over Kate's necklace to the police and the news breaks in town that Kate had planned the Hale massacre. Chris and Victoria are aware that they'll be prized in Beacon Hills, but they still have less to worry about than Scott. After all, Scott is a werewolf in love with the daughter of a prominent werewolf hunting family. Smack dab in the territory of a newly christened, emotionally unstable alpha. So emotionally unstable. (laughs) Yes. What a way to end the first season of Teen Wolf. So many kind of dynamic shifts in this story. What are y'all's thoughts on this first season? How did it it come off to y'all on a rewatch? Tight. It's really good. I feel like it's just a very strong first season of a show i feel like sometimes you can get like too many characters or meandering or just like some bad episodes but i think teen wolf made a very smart decision of only having such a limited number of episodes in the first season and they were able to tell just like a very like concise story without like and now there's just like this other unrelated monster of the week that we have to deal with then we'll get back to the alpha problem no it's all it's all very focused Mm -hmm. and i feel like we have a lot of good character growth that's we established the characters and we can already see them changing some but it just sets it up for like the continuing seasons yeah 
I think the word you were looking for with the storytelling was toit. <laughs> for like a first episode, for a first season of a show, right out of the gate, it I think it sticks the landing with a fantastic pilot and it just keeps building. It builds the mysteries very well. It has, uh, I think, great story structure, has a great delineation between the first, second, and third acts, you know, um, great character pro- great character progression. It's just a very, very strong first season of a show. Yeah, I wanted to say that as we come to close on our first season here, which flew by. Wow. It did flow by. It did flow. It did flow. fly by. So it much flew. flow. Flowy flow. So <laughs> flow. Um, but yes, as we come to the end on the first season, I'd like to say how incredible it was getting to talk to so many people who worked behind the scenes on the show. Mm-hmm. As a fan, I think it's really easy to be like, oh, the cast is what made the show so amazing. And that, that's true. I mean, Teen Wolf has such an incredible cast, but there's also so many people who came together to make Teen Wolf what it was. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really amazing that other fans will get to have the opportunity to listen to some of the people who worked on the show and made it such an beautiful project that we can still enjoy 10 years after the pilot aired. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very excited to talk to more people who worked on the show. Me too. Because I love it. And I love hearing everyone who played any part of making it because I think it's all so special. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's great for fans to know like all the aspects that go into making a single episode of television, just how much work is in it. Absolutely. It's really hard, but so worth it. It it really is like spinning gold out of straw that like, Mm -hmm. despite having a budget um, that really wasn't comparable to other scripted programs. So many people really brought their A game in their particular area of expertise and all their contributions are so incredible. The end result is even greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And the the results kind of speak for themselves. Absolutely. Or they, they would, but th- the fans speak loudly enough, <laughs> I would yes, say. Yes, absolutely. Um, to absolutely. make that really clear, just how special this show is, was at the time and still is to this day, to so many people all over the world. Yeah. Yes. I'm very excited to keep going, to keep going with y'all and to keep talking about this excellent show that we love. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Codebreaker. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. I just saw my boyfriend turn into a werewolf. All right, Wolfies, we're going to jump over to our interview with Jeff Davis, the creator and showrunner of Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. So was there anything that changed drastically during the season from how you envisioned it when you wrote the pilot? You know, I had a very clear plan going in. Um, I, I would say that the biggest change that happened during the show during the first season was probably the pilot itself in the writing of it. Um, you're always trying to find the show. I say, I, I usually say that uh, most TV shows 
sort of find out what kind of show they are by like the fourth or fifth episode of the first season. But we, we really had a clear plan. Um, and the biggest change actually was the pilot itself because at that point, serialized television uh, hadn't really taken over um, as, as much as it has now. And uh, we knew there was gonna be ongoing character storylines. Um, we had first thought that maybe it would, it would be, but we first thought that maybe it would be more like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like even a monster of, of the week or some sort of new challenge every week. And so I had this whole subplot in the original pilot outline about the assistant coach being the one who had murdered the girl in the pilot. And it was what? kind of this whole diversion away from the main plot and it, it never really worked. And it was a way for us to try to do these A stories that would resolve in each episode um, to make it feel kind of more procedural, I guess. And, and it was awful. <laughs> so I was trying to fit the show into something very familiar when what we really needed to do was make it something new. So I remember saying to one of the producers one night, I said, why don't we just dump this character and end the episode with Scott nearly getting caught by the werewolf hunters and then him finding out that the head werewolf hunter is Allison's father. And it instantly made you wanna know what was gonna happen next and how could these two kids be in love and it gave him that star-crossed lovers feel, that dynamic. And it, uh, from that moment on, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with the, with the season. I knew that by the end of episode three, it was going, Derek was going to say to Scott, I'm not the one who bit you. There's another, there's an alpha. Um, and I knew that there were gonna be these red eyes in the darkness that we, the camera sort of pans to. I knew that uh, at the end of the second act, that it would be revealed that Peter, uh, Derek's supposedly comatose uncle, was the alpha, and that he was slipping away at night uh, as this creature. Um, I knew that uh, I wanted um, Allison to find out that Scott was a werewolf. Um, there were things that just like signposts that I had. And it's, it's nice when you have sort of a, um, a plan like that, but it can also be terrifying because you have to find ways to get to each place and it can be difficult in the writing. But uh, most of the time we were just trying to get the show done. <laughs> <laughs> so we were trying to shoot everything we came up with. We were wondering how much of the Teen Wolf story you had uh, mapped out in advance when writing the pilot. We, we didn't know what we were gonna be doing with the show at all. <laughs> <laughs> we were, I mean, they, they kill us online a lot for not knowing the ages of any of our characters. We were, we were making it up as we went along, really. Um, we didn't know if there was going to be a second season. We didn't know if they were going to air three episodes of the first season and then cancel it. Um, this was all very new for MTV. So there wasn't too much of a plan beyond season one, um, other than the fact that I knew um, even while we were shooting the pilot, that if we were lucky enough to get a season two, Jackson was going to be the bad guy and he was going to be this lizard creature. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I knew that from the start. There are so many things that do change along the way just because of the needs of production. So you're, you're, finally, you're always finding you have to compromise. Um, one of the most difficult things about shooting the first season was the 
werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we didn't think we were going to do a CG creature. We thought it was going to be the man in the suit. But there were so many moments where we shot it and it looked completely different from one shot to the next where we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And finally we said, look, we've got to we've got to uh, do some CG work here. And it's either CG work that's going to supplement the original creature uh, suit or CG work that's going to completely take over. And we ended up doing both. And I said, I would never go back to doing another giant CG monster again. And then of course, in season five, that's exactly what we did. From watching this, the, the, the first season, like I love those moments where, um, you know, like when, when Kate's driving in her introduction and you see the wall, you see the alpha outside and it's clearly CG and all that. But I love when, um, when the action punches in closer and it is the guy in the suit. I, I love yeah. all that stuff. And I think it looks, I think the, the shots that were used are the perfect right moments. You know, I, I think y'all did just such a fantastic job of marrying the two and finding the exact right balance for it because it, it, you know, for like some of those bigger shots and stuff where you're using a CG, it looks great. But then like when it's the action's right in your face, you've got this this guy in this great suit and, and or maybe not great suit, but still it looks perfect for the exact amount of frames that are used. And uh, yeah, well, it's fantastic. Creature, the CG creature looks completely different from shot to shot and sometimes, but, uh, but that's, I mean, we were doing this on a, on a $5 budget um, and I mean, anytime you commit to CG like that, you know, you're going to be testing the audience's suspension of disbelief, but there are some amazing moments like in the finale when, and this was an idea that Russell Mulcahy had after we shot the finale, he wanted to go back in and punch up the, um, the fight scene between Scott and Peter. He, he wanted like when Scott punches Peter, like part of his face transforms. And that was an idea I hadn't had in the script and Russell came up with it after we'd shot the whole, whole uh, finale. And it just, it looked so cool on screen. Mm-hmm. Those were the mo- most effective uses of CG that we did. Um, as for the creature in the suit looking great, I do remember like one of my favorite shots is in episode seven um, when they're trapped in a school and there's a close up of the creature in the window of the high school lab, I think. And he's got the f- right there. And yeah. I'm like, God, can we just get it to look that good all the time? <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode of the first season? The penultimate episode can always be really good, mm-hmm. you know, because it, you give your characters a chance to breathe. So I have a lot of love for formality, episode 11, um, partially because it was one of the episodes when we were shooting it. We, we really began to understand what a great dramatic actor Dylan O'Brien was. And so um, that was sort of amazing to see uh, him. We knew he was funny, but we had no idea he would be so good at drama. And there are so many moments of two, like uh, Styles telling Lydia to dance with him, Argent facing off with Jackson. The whole winter formal was fun to write. There are funny moments, dramatic moments. Uh, and then the ending where Allison sees Scott as a werewolf for the first time. Scott jumps up on the two cars as they come uh, screaming to a halt uh, right at him. And uh, I remember seeing that scene cut together and seeing the way they look at each other and just being incredibly happy with it because 
I mean, Crystal and Posey and Tyler Posey had such good chemistry. And if they didn't have good chemistry, we would have been dead. <laughs> so, and that, that moment works mostly because of their chemistry, because you don't want them to lose their relationship. Um, but then again, like in terms of favorite episodes, I have, I have to say like the pilot's my favorite episode because we're all so new, but I actually think that the finale might be my favorite because there's so many things about it that made me feel like we had found something special by the end of the season. Um, especially moments like when Allison kisses Scott, she sort of takes his face as he turns away from her because he's a monster, but she kisses him and transforms him back to human just with her kiss. Um, I loved Dino Menegan's score at the end where he, he brings in this huge sweeping love theme as they're sitting on the rooftop. Um, I love when Derek's eyes glow red at the end and he says, I'm the alpha now. Yes. I get chills when I watch it. <laughs> I remember um, we had a big cast party screening to watch the finale together. And at that point, we weren't like a ratings hit on MTV, but we knew we were sort of gaining this sort of cult following, but we were super proud of the show. And I remember um, when we were watching uh, and everyone was there, I think there was like 50 of us or something, and Derek kills Peter and says, I'm the alpha now. And I remember everybody screamed at that line. <laughs> and Eklund was especially proud of that moment. He loved it. He loved being the bad guy in that moment. So. It did fantastically well, as did everyone in across the whole yeah. board of the first season and culminating in the finale. I mean, it's it's a great episode, and and it definitely when when cast and crew watch it, there should be lots of pride, you know, <laughs> when they watch that. So, yeah, that actually kind of leads into the next question really well. All of the characters have such big moments in the finale. So, whose story were you most proud of? It, either in the finale or in the season as a whole? I think I'd still have to say, because the biggest change happens with Scott, and I'm, I'm most proud of it. And one of the things you're seeing during that season is, is Tyler Posey really growing into the character, and he'll tell you himself, he's like, he's learning how to act on screen. Um, <laughs> and seeing the moments with him, um, becoming a hero, the first glimpses of his becoming a hero, I was really proud of that. It's a very much a Peter Parker, Spider-Man story. Um, but it is hard to pick just one because I also love Styles and Jackson teaming up and seeing the progression of Jackson's character when he, he uh, offers to uh, take Styles in his Porsche and Styles says, I'm driving. Um, I loved Arjun's moral dilemma with his sister. Um, I loved Derek uh, becoming the alpha. Um, it was just, it was fun to write and it was fun to um, uh, see all of these threads come together. And I remember um, being proud of, of being able to give each character their moment in that finale. Like, because uh, everybody does get a moment. And I, th I think that's when, when these stories work best. It's a, it's a lesson I learned well from Charles Dickens actually. If you go back and look at Tale of Two Cities, every character gets a heroic moment in that book, um, all the way down to the chambermaid who blocks the doors with her body and says, you're not gonna get past. Uh, um, so it's, it's, it's fun to write those stories. Um, so to answer your question, probably Scott, but I'm proud of all of them. <laughs> 
Yeah, one of the things that I was thinking about rewatching the finale is that because Lydia is kind of out of commission, you mm. anticipate that Lydia isn't going to get to have her moment, but then you get to the part where they defeat Peter using her idea with the, and you're like, oh my God, even though she is comatose and can't even be there, she still okay. gets to be part of it, you yeah. know? And that's something that was building through the season and that that is really cool, I thought, rewatching yeah, cocktails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun when you can find those um, callbacks. I love yeah. that. I love that in storytelling. Um, and those are the things you don't know that are going to happen um, until you're sitting there going, how am I going to get them out of this situation? Oh, yeah, the Molotov cocktails from the episode seven. Um, I, I remember when we were doing season 3B, one of my writers was freaking out because he didn't know how we were gonna resolve the whole season. It was like, there's no way we're gonna be able to do this. And I remember um, saying to him, don't worry about it. We've set things up and we're gonna find things. And we did. The whole, the, the scene where the Shigendo scroll and where they trapped the fly and the, we had no idea we were gonna do any of that until the very end. <laughs> um, I remember you calling that the, uh, the unconscious writer. Yes. That you don't realize you're laying, you're laying the groundwork for the story because you yeah. think, oh, in this moment, this jar or this thing will, is cool. It works just here. And then yeah. like five episodes later, you're like, oh, but it also works here. And, and, yeah. and you get yeah. to wrap it all up in a nice yeah. little bow. The subconscious writer is always uh, listening. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's another great one with Lydia. I love Lydia in case that wasn't obvious, but Me too. you know, there's, um, you know, in the first season, you have her, um, this really lovely scene where she's sitting in front of her vanity, putting on makeup and mm -hmm. covering up all, all evidence of this really traumatic thing that she's gone through. But then in season three, when uh, she almost gets strangled and she has the bruises around her neck, you know, and her mom's like, I'll help you cover it up. And she's like, why? I'm not going to. And it's such a beautiful callback to that earlier moment and how she's grown as a person that earlier it was really important to her to cover that up. And now she feels like this is a badge of honor. You know, this is something I survived. And just the parallel between those two scenes is so incredible. That is uh, one of the joys of, of both writing and watching TV is being able to see that sort of like level of character growth. And because um, you don't, there's no room for that in a, in a two hour movie. You're basically, when you're doing a two hour movie, you get one character or maybe two or three. Um, but uh, in TV, you get to see them grow and you can have callbacks for, that are four seasons from that moment. Um, and that's, that's what I love about TV, seeing characters grow like that. And Lydia was one of the most fun characters to write. Um, we had no idea what she was gonna become. We had no idea she was gonna be a banshee. Um, <laughs> just that, the bite was definitely going to have a different effect on her um, in the end. Uh, I knew that I wanted to surprise the audience that way. Um, and that was the beginning, the end, uh, her story, uh, when, when, they, when they say, well, what is she turning into if she's not a werewolf? That was the beginning of opening up this sort of Pandora's box of all the other myths that we could play around with in the shapeshifter universe. Um, which basically allowed me to do a walking lizard person in the second season. <laughs> yeah. 
Actually, going off that, um, I know you said that you, if you got a second season, you wanted Jackson to be a lizard guy and the <laughs> guy. Was Derek always going to bite Jackson? Was that always the plan? Yes. You know, when you, when you write these things, you sometimes have stuff that you're absolutely certain is going to happen in the end. And then you never get to it. You kind of toss it away and you're like, yeah, I was never going to do that. But I was so certain that uh, Jackson wanted the bite. He was going to get it some way. He wanted it so badly, which contrasted with Styles not wanting the bite. Um, in that moment where Peter offers it to him and he doesn't want it. Um, so it was a way to differentiate their two characters and it was a way to tell a story of be careful what you wish for, Ab that kind of power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, so that was definitely in the cards, always in the cards. When Derek returned to uh, Beacon Hills because of Laura and, and all that, and then when he discovered that there was the alpha out there, do you think from the start he was going to, he wanted to kill the alpha to then become an alpha? Or was that just a, in the moment, I'm going to kill Peter and I accept that this is going to happen? Or was he like, I'm doing this to now be an alpha? No, that was his plan. Okay. It, was, it was always planned that Derek's main goal was to be the alpha, was to take that power and form his own pack now that his sister was dead. It was partly revenge, but partly his own lust for power, um, which is why in season two, you see him um, gathering his pack and thinking this is going to be the best thing in the world and watching it slowly fall apart. So we wanted to make him the one, the, 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 the person who wants to be king and then is not quite aware of just how heavy the crown is upon his head. So it was always going to be that story for Derek. That's great. That's fantastic. So it's, it's interesting that you mentioned um, Jackson's storyline kind of being in contrast to Styles, because one of the questions that we wanted to ask was, did you guys ever discuss the possibility of Styles taking the bite? Yes. Uh, and there were always people along the way who said, you know, make Styles a werewolf. We got to make Styles a werewolf this year. Shouldn't you make Styles a werewolf? And I was absolutely adamant from day one that he would never, ever become a werewolf or have any supernatural power unless he was a bad guy for one season. So he always had to stay the human. And that is partially because I always wanted a character there who, um, who was the surrogate for the audience, who, who his superpower was his smarts and his determination and his will to, to protect his friends. Um, that style is his superpower. Uh, so it was never a chance of him getting the bite. Uh. I love that, you know, style stays human. I was just telling yeah. them though, like the one thing I, um, Team Wolf is so perfect, but the only thing I ever was left wondering was maybe like an episode like The Wish from Buffy, you compared it to Buffy earlier, where, um, yeah, you see an alternate reality, and I would have loved to see like what would have happened if Styles would have been the one bitten just for like one episode, just like. A great Marvel episode. what if. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I love exactly. those. That would have been great. Always love those. Yeah. We'll have to do that in, in the comic book spinoff at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. What was the casting process like trying to find um, 
the characters. Uh, did the casting of certain actors change the way you approached writing the character differently? Like, uh, yes, definitely. Well, one thing you, you definitely learn in, in shooting a season of television and shooting it so quickly too, is you learn their strengths and their weaknesses. And um, one of the nice things to discover was that like Tyler Posey wasn't just a good romantic lead, he could be funny. So I wanted to write funny stuff for him, which eventually turned into him being like stupid. So, uh, <laughs> or the audience believing that he was stupid, but I just felt he was naive. Um, I wanted to write him as a naive uh, um, 16 year old. And like one of my favorite moments from the pilot is when um, Jackson says to him, where are you getting your juice? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> says, my mom does all the grocery shopping. <laughs> And he says it so perfectly. And Colton's look in that moment is so perfect. Um, we almost didn't shoot that scene. Um, when we were doing the pilot presentation, the, um, uh, the network wanted to cut that scene because we were running out of time. And I said, we have to have this scene. If we don't have this scene, I'm going to die. And I said, <laughs> I will. And so what I said was, I will um, forego my executive producer fee and pay for this scene. And literally that night, as we were on set, I got on the phone with my manager and agent and lawyer and said, I'm paying for this scene, forgo my EP fee, add it to the budget. If the show goes forward, they can pay me back. And it's one of my favorite scenes in the pilot and into the show, actually. Yeah, um, I mean, that has such lasting power. I think that's such a great call that you made because people, I still see in fandom people referencing how amazing that line is and how funny. Yeah, we yeah. actually looked on YouTube just to, to find the exact clip after we'd already watched the episode. Um, and there are a bunch of YouTube videos that are literally just those two lines <laughs> where people just yeah, uploaded that, that one exchange. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a little bit of money I was giving up too. So, um, but I knew that um, one of the things I had to do with that pilot was show that this, was demonstrate that this show was going to be funny. Um, I mean, I, there was another massive fight about a scene with the network, um, which maybe I shouldn't tell you about, but screw it, I can. Um, <laughs> Go for it. It was uh, the scene um, between uh, Styles, Danny, and Derek, which we all know, the Miguel scene. And the network hated it. <laughs> They, 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 didn't, they didn't want me to shoot it. They didn't want to me, they, when we did shoot it, they didn't want it in the episode. They wanted me to cut it out. I fought like crazy. I actually said to one of the executives on the phone, come to Atlanta and fire me and hung up on them. <laughs> oh boy. As we, as we were shooting that scene, they felt it was silly. They didn't feel it was the show. Um, but I kept saying to them, uh, it's going to be funny and it's also sexy <laughs> and yes it's a really gay scene too um, which may have been some of their fear as well um, but uh, I was <laughs> such a little shit for, uh, <laughs> shooting it and getting my way and pissing and moaning about it and and eventually uh, uh, I, I basically just kept saying no I'm not cutting it out <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up in the episode, and it's one of my favorite scenes. 
I it's, love that scene. Yeah, yeah it's like, a great it's another scene. Another huge fandom favorite. Yeah, and people yeah. still quote that scene because it's so funny, you know, of like putting uh, Derek, who up until that point has just been this silent, brooding, no-nonsense character, and making him the comic relief in a scene. Yeah. And, and yeah. kind of almost like this fish out of water, you know, that he is not this person, and then putting him into it while Styles is trying to get Danny to find this information for them, which then, of course, leads to uh, you know, the the, the the levity of the scene makes the end of the scene even better when they get yeah. the answer because that just it's a slap in the face you yeah. know when when it's like oh Melissa you know it's like their, that was one of their big fears was him was Derek being funny in that scene was Derek being like um, but I, I thought it humanized his character mm-hmm. and it, it made him charming and it told us don't don't think he's going to be the bad guy the whole time. Uh, you might, you might be this. He might be unexpected. He might, he might make some unexpected moves and some turns, um, which also helps the moment at the end when he does kill Peter and says, "I'm the alpha now," because the audience is partially saying to themselves, "Oh, don't do it! Don't do it! I liked you in that scene. You're 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 this close to being a good guy, and then he does it, and and you're like you're conflicted, but you also love it because he." He's got that power now, and he's still the sexy bad guy, but he's the sexy bad guy with also good qualities. So it's, that's, that's what you get to do in, t- in, in a show like Teen Wolf and that's serialized, uh, that tells new stories every season. You get to change the characters. In season one, Scott is told that if you kill the alpha to bitch you, that you'll then be human again. If Scott had in the finale actually been the one to kill Peter, do you think it would have worked? Was there ever discussion that maybe that is correct? Like that if you did kill the alpha that turned you, you get your life back type of thing. Uh, Yes. I always knew the answer to that. And that was that it was a falsehood. That it was a false promise. Um, That uh, killing another, uh, that there was no way back. Once you had been changed, you were changed for good. Um, and it was always going to be a false promise for Scott. Um, we never really clarified that in the end though. Yeah. I just, I'm like freaking out. I just learned something that I've wondered for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) But things like that are good because they led me to an idea that I, I didn't realize I was going to do, which was the idea of Scott becoming a true alpha, which was an al a a werewolf. So we had the question, what if you, what if you don't kill a werewolf? Can you still become, what if you don't kill the alpha? Can you still become an alpha on your own? And I thought to myself, well, what if you can become an alpha just by pure will, the, the, the pure nature of your, your character of, of uh, and it, it felt like such a way of Scott to progress and grow, not by taking something, but by being a good person, that he could become a leader just by being a good person. Um, so that question of how do you, how could Scott um, how does Scott have to handle being in, uh, the alpha wolf that bit him led to the idea of the true alpha. Were there any stories or scenes that did not get included in the first season that you wished could have been included? I think most of the stuff that we wanted to do that we couldn't was either because of budget or because of like our ideas were simply too grand for um, what we would have been able to accomplish with the CG or with um, 
the budget at that time. Um, I know that like part of the thing about doing that first season was it was simply a race to get everything to look good. I mean, you have no idea how difficult it was just to do Scott's makeup um, or Derek's makeup. I remember we got, we, we got a, did a test of Derek's makeup and he literally looked like a drag queen with, without a wig. <laughs> and so I spent hours on, in, in my trailer one night with Photoshop, like changing his face and, and then bringing it back to the makeup people and saying, make it look like that. I took his, one of the things I took, I did because I knew I wanted um, him to look more evil than Scott was no eyebrows. If you look at uh, mm-hmm. Eric in the first season, he doesn't have eyebrows. My God, the first time that uh, the big werewolf came out, we all had a panic attack because it looked, it did not look good. <laughs> <laughs> we had to switch makeup teams right in the middle. Um, and we learned that doing werewolves is really hard. I mean, cause eventually it's gonna be a guy in a big furry suit lumbering around and you trying to make it look good and thinking, oh God, should we just crank down the lighting? Everybody's <laughs> like, everybody says, oh God, the, the seasons of Teen Wolf are dark and some of those shots are too dark to see anything. There's a reason for that. <laughs> if, if that shot was any lighter, you'd see the seams in the costume and you'd see all the little pieces of duct tape that we tried to hide. Um, if, if we were in trouble in the editing room, I would be sitting there going, just make it darker. <laughs> Just darken it. <laughs> um, and that's what you do when you, you make a show for $5. <laughs> but I got to tell you, by the time we got to season three, there, it was well known in the industry, like what we were able to accomplish on our budget. And people were like, how the hell are they doing that? Um, we got a lot of uh, respect in the industry um, in Hollywood for what we were able to achieve um, on our budget. Um, I remember uh, one of my directors went off to shoot another show um, and he told me what the VFX budget on that show was and I couldn't believe it. It was half of one of our episode budgets. (laughs) And if we had that much money, who knows? But um, (laughs) uh, uh, I'm really proud of what we were able to do um, with the, the things we had. I mean... One of our pickup shoots for the first season, we did in one of our producer's garages. And the scene where, the moment where Tyler gets dragged by a werewolf, where where he gets bitten by the werewolf, by the alpha in the first episode, Mm -hmm. I'm the one with Tyler's legs in my arms, dragging him off camera. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a moment where Jackson hits Tyler on the cross field, bumps into him, that's me in Jackson's outfit. There uh, were so many scenes like that where it was just like, all right, give me the wardrobe, I'll do it. Russell, shoot this. <laughs> um, we were really like, at certain points, it felt like a student film shoot or just like a really cheap independent movie. Um, <laughs> it's so funny but, to hear because it's such an incredibly polished show watching it as a fan. Like, mm-hmm. it, I would think you guys had all the money in the world because it's just incredibly <laughs> impressive what you did. I remember uh, from the season two pickups where you're in Styles's uh, clothes, and because there was the shot of him getting him thrown up against the wall or whatever yep. had to be picked up, me. and that was you in his outfit for that shot. And <laughs> um, 
just to, to jump back for a quick second, you talking about using Photoshop uh, to kind of create the image you wanted to give to the, to the makeup effects guys. A lot of my favorite uh, and best memories from the show are you drawing. Because there are some times when you, when instead of describing a shot to us or a scene, you would just get up on the whiteboard and draw it. And I remember uh, distinctly when we went to uh, Malibu for that mm -hmm. little retreat where uh, you, while we were, I think it was at the end of the day and we'd had dinner or whatever, and we were all just kind of hanging out and you drew Kate as the Nawal for the first time uh, yes. on your iPad. And you were just like, <laughs> I think this is what it's going to be. And it was like exactly the makeup, like exactly the design of her skin and everything. And it's like, you did that in 10 minutes or whatever, <laughs> you know, or, or something like that. Or um, even later in the series when, when we, had in the script the beacon hills or the beacon high school sign is now in the is in the corridor and it's like yes. oh oh it's super simple you just do this and you just drew like the shot of the what's fine of what is finally yeah. in the episode itself of that sign broken into giant pieces you know um and it was so like much that. fun to go on set with the drawing and compare the two and be like it, it's a wonderful feeling when you say i want you guys to make this and then they build it it's such a we really we forget how lucky we are to be um, working in this gigantic playground. It really is, um, it's a joy and a, um, a gift, it really is. Looking back now, is there anything you would change about the first season? <laughs> there's, you know, there's so much you would change. Um, I actually, I had thought about that um, for a long time. What, there's, there's one moment actually in the first season that is hard for me to watch because I hate it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious to see if you guys will agree with me on this, but, um, but I'm not sure that I would change it. And I'll tell you the reason why in a second. And it's the scene where Scott and Lydia kiss. Um, at that moment, we were really trying to appease the network who wanted us to do love triangles and, more soap opera and sex things up. And I was, I was like, all right, well, I'll, we'll have Scott and Lydia make out and be really hot. And, and watching it, I was like, this doesn't feel right at all. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, I don't like this. And, and, but I knew that like, it was supposed to represent Scott under the sway of the full moon and, and, and you know, betrayal of his friendship with Styles, And it, it did work for that. And then the other thing is, and here's the reason I wouldn't change it. Because if we didn't have that moment, we wouldn't have in the next episode, one of my favorite scenes, which is Styles' little revenge against Scott where he's pelting him with the lacrosse bats. And so if you lose the first scene, you don't get the second one. So Scott had to do something that was a betrayal of Styles. But I think from that moment on, I never went back to ever the possibility of Scott and Lydia having any sort of attraction to each other ever again. Um, so that was one of those moments where I was just trying to give something to the network, but, um, but I still don't know if I would change it because I, you, you wouldn't have the other scene or maybe you would have it in a different way, but um, you never know. What do you guys think? Are you on, on board with me with that? I do really love, um... Styles' reaction and how he deals with it and everything. So yeah, in that sense, I do agree. 
But um, I am glad that Teen Wolf didn't continue on with a bunch of like love triangles because yeah. that was the one I was afraid the show was going to be. And it's just so much more and the characters are incredibly interesting and just it's completely different from like Twilight and everything that was happening around that time. And yeah, I just it, I don't think the fans would love it as much if it was just reduced to a bunch of love triangles. Yeah, and I think actually shooting that scene, after that scene, I was more adamant than ever that there would never be a love track on the show, that we just weren't gonna do that, which led to also um, one of the other things that I really liked, which was when Scott and Allison broke up and they each sort of have their other relationships and they're okay with it. They try to support each other. I, I, you rarely see that on TV. Yeah. yeah. In a breakup of one person trying to say to the other, be happy. I hope you're happy and, and good for you for finding someone that you like again. Um, so those things do lead to other stuff like that. But yeah, even still watching Scott and Lydia kiss. <laughs> It was it a feels little, so wrong. It, it feels very wrong. It feels very wrong. It was a little cringy, cringy watching it. But I think what, so cringy. One of what I do like most about that scene is I. I guess I've always looked at that scene from Lydia's perspective because yeah. we've already established, you know, in that episode, but then also earlier that it's, you know, because she's hiding the fact that she's super smart. Like she she doesn't yeah. think that that is how she can get ahead in the world. So the other option is find. The, the strong person or find the person who's on their way up to attach yourself to so that then I can go with them. And mm -hmm. in that moment, it looks like Scott's going to be that person. So she's yeah. like, I need to now be with him in order so I don't get left behind. But I, whenever I, uh, when we were watching um, and looking at that scene, I was just thinking about where Lydia ends up. Yeah, because yeah, it's like because she yeah. does finally have that revelation of I don't need to define myself based on anyone else. So it makes that moment so much stronger when you've actually seen that she's with Jackson, but she's willing to leave Jackson to be with someone else if she believes it's better for her in the long run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it just, it's a great beginning of that arc and then culminating with her being like, I'm my own person. I don't need, you know, I, I don't have to hide anything about myself to, to be yeah. strong or to get ahead. And, um, I loved writing those moments too. Like, um, the, the moments where she hides her intelligence, where she corrects um, uh, Jackson saying things like, a mountain lion is a cougar. And then she's like, what? Isn't it? I, I Isn't love it? that. I think I read that, that yeah, that yeah. bit that she does where she, where she pauses, realizes what she said, and then goes, isn't it? And it's just yeah. like, yeah. I, I love all those er moment. early, yeah. I love all those early bits with her. And it does, like you said, Will, it does kind of, as cringy as it is, it kind of sets her arc in greater contrast because that moment from Lydia's perspective does feel very like strategic. Yeah. Right. It's not, you know, she's not just like, Oh, it would be, it would be fun to kiss Scott. She's like, this is like a chess move to her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of like it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Scott, I, because he's so naive, I don't think he's able to, see it from that perspective but yeah and under the sway yeah. of the full moon he's going he's basically right. a person at that time right. right yeah so no there was these these things were so much fun to figure out i i knew that like when when we were planning the season i always knew that she was the sort of mean girl 
who had a soul and who was hiding her incredible intelligence. Um, and Holland just, she just played it so well. And she was like the last person we cast in that. We, we had someone else that was supposed to play the role. And I think we lost them for some reason. And we basically said, Holland was like, got, I think she was the last person cast in the weekend. So we were like, get on a plane right now. <laughs> we need you in Atlanta. Um, and she just, I love her to death. I really do. Do you have any special memories from actually filming the finale? What a lot of people don't know about that first season is that we were shooting these episodes, we were shooting them in three episode blocks. So we, would, that, yeah. we were shooting 10, 11, and 12 all at the same time. So like, remember the scenes in, in the Macy's we had to shoot for 11? Mm -hmm. So all the scenes between Styles and Peter uh, in the parking garage, where they're figuring out Scott's password and username, that's outside the Macy's. Because <laughs> we had, we shot both the, the episode 11 scene and the episode 12 scene at the, on the same night. So a lot of shooting the finale was, yeah, that was being done during episodes 10, 11, and some of it was being done even earlier. Um, uh, I remember um, that one of my absolute favorite moments from the last episode um, was when Allison goes to see Lydia in the hospital and she keeps having these flashes of her covered in blood and it was such like classic horror movie shocks and i love the way russell shot it and he uses this wonderful trick to make it look so weird and creepy where what he did was he filmed it with everyone walking backwards and then we play it in reverse so go watch that scene again and you'll notice the strange way that allison is walking it's because we oh. shot her walking backwards. It's a trick that Brian De Palma used at the end of Carrie, um, and it's during the dream sequence, um, and it's so unsettling. If you watch the end of Carrie, you will actually see, I think, car going backwards. Yeah. Um, behind, um, so cool. uh, what's her name? Yeah. But that's one of my favorite scenes, and it was one of those moments where I was like, all right, even if we don't get a second season, we did some fun shit. <laughs> And stuff like those, those first moments where she sees Lydia um, doing the movements with blood all over her. I remember being in the editing room and uh, saying, take all the sound out. Don't, don't have a sound there. Just have it be, um, just have the image. And we did that and, and we just did stuff that, that we loved, that, that was fun for us, that scared us. And that was one of the one of the joys of shooting that first season is did whatever we wanted. And I fought all the fights with the network <laughs> on stuff. There were a couple screaming matches. Um, one of the things the network actually hated, just did not want me to do was, but I knew all along that I wanted Deaton to be someone who has for a long time protected the secrets of werewolves and acted as sort of a doctor to them. And the network was like, we don't want this, it's, it's too much. Um, they, they absolutely hated the idea and they insisted that Deaton stay a veterinarian. And I actually screamed at an executive because of it. I was like, not doing that, do it in my way. <laughs> what, what about that did they object to? They just felt like it was too many people in the town in the know and it made it feel smaller. Whereas I actually felt that it did the opposite. It made the mythology that much bigger, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and 
that was just another time when I bitched and moaned and got my way. <laughs> so, and I just knew I wanted him to be like an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure. I wanted him to be a father figure to Scott. Um, and uh, his, the original version of his character, he was supposed to be gay, actually. Um, I can't remember why we changed it. And Seth Gilliam did such a great job playing him. He, I remember when he was carrying him uh, in, I think it was episode 10, it just felt right to me. Um, and uh, I didn't care if anyone else liked it. I, that was what I wanted to do and we did it. <laughs> it was perfect. A lot it of doing perfect. the first season of a TV show is pushing to get your way. So. <laughs> We're very happy that you did. Yeah, yeah. It completely paid off. So I mean, uh, it it definitely worked out. I think in everyone's favor. So yeah, yeah. And there was a point too where one of the executives, Justin Levy, said he watched I think episode eleven, and he said to me over the phone, he said, "We have some notes. Do them or don't do them. The show's awesome." Wow. And it was really nice to have the network like to say, we're totally on board with this, go for it. I have such fond memories of that show um, and uh, of all the people in it too. It was hard to do, it was the hardest job of my life, but it's so rewarding too. You and, and everyone who, who's worked with you, I mean, you create something great despite all of the, the content we get now that, that that you have something that just connects with people so strongly, you know, that yeah. it, that even 10 years later, people still want to talk to you about it. You know, I, I love TV. I consume so much of it, but yeah, I haven't felt as passionate about anything since Teen Wolf as I did about Teen Wolf. It was just really so amazing. And I still love it. Yeah. More than anything else I've watched since then, even though there's so many great television shows on, it's just, the cast was just so perfect. Everything about the show was amazing. Uh, that makes me very happy to hear. <laughs> <laughs> was it always the plan for Kate and Peter to return? Didn't intend to bring both back. Um, you you get to a point where, like at the end of the season, you wanna you wanna tell the audience that the stakes are real, so there has to be some bodies. You know, I've gotten this idea in my head of um, of. Uh, it was a little bit of Star Trek, um, Wrath of Khan, okay? So Peter's bite with Lydia, the first idea with that was that he had done it as an insurance policy for himself. Mm. Like in the same way that um, Spock mind melts with McCoy and puts part of his soul into yeah. McCoy that gives you, that allows them to resurrect him in yeah. season three. I wanted to do that same story with Lydia and Peter in season two, where, where Lydia is kind of going crazy because Peter is in her head. Um, so I had come up with that before we ended the season because um, um, Ian Bowen was really bummed that his character was over. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, just be quiet about this, but if we come back for another season, I'm bringing you back. <laughs> so... That was, my, um, that was my way to bring Peter back. And part of it that I really liked was um, just driving Lydia crazy and having her have this whole subplot with a young Peter who was purely in her head. And it was a way to, to explore her character and make her sort of an inadvertent bad guy as well during the season, but then have her 
changed by the end of it and turned it into a power. So she goes from a victim to becoming uh, more powerful because of it. So. It's a great character arc. It's wonderful. Like she was our Jamie Lee Curtis and <laughs> she was so good at screaming and, and playing fe like fear. She was our scream queen basically. So it just somehow became a natural progression that she became the Irish screaming banshee. Um, of course, she nearly ruined her vocal cords because of it. Um, so we had to use her same scream over and over again. But uh, I remember at one point telling her, don't scream. <laughs> you need to protect your voice. And she's like, but that's the character. I'm like, you don't have to do it anymore. I swear to God. <laughs> Uh, I do remember her having between uh, between takes or whatever that she kind of had her own golem juice. It was like tea and some honey <laughs> and stuff because she was going for it. So you'd see her with like this little mug of, yeah. of whatever brew they were coming up with, the same sort of similar to what they did with Andy Serkis on Lord of the Rings. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Pleasure, thank you. Guys. Yes. It's great talking. Um, yeah, this has wonderful. been a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for uh, this uh, uh, finale for season one. And we'll be talking to you soon. Great talking to you. Bye. Bye. That was such a great interview with Jeff. But Kate and Calissa, what do y'all think about what Jeff said regarding Derek letting Scott kill Peter? Do you think Derek ever had the intention of letting Scott kill Peter? I think that... Originally, Derek was going to let Scott kill the Alpha when he didn't know who the Alpha was, when it was just like this beast running around killing people. Even if we think about like the beginning, he didn't realize that the Alpha was the one who killed Laura. Right. And then, he thinks it's the hunters. Yes. And then he does suspect it, but um, I think he's still like, we've discussed previously he tells Scott that it's he's heard stories that if you kill the one who bit you you could go back to being human I believe like yeah it is something he'd heard before and I think he was even gonna let Scott try it but then he realizes it's Peter and that's when the moment changes that he decides that he's no longer going to let Scott do it he doesn't tell Scott this but I think once he realizes it's Peter and that not just that it's Peter, but that Peter lied to him and that Peter was in full control whenever he did kill Laura, that's the moment he decides I have to be the one to kill Peter. That, that was my exact thought. Like in that scene when Scott presents the evidence that shows that Laura's murder was premeditated. I think that was the moment where he was like, Peter, I'm going to kill him myself. Because yeah. if you think about um, the, the reveal of the spiral and that the spiral is a werewolf symbol for vengeance, mm -hmm. um, you know, originally he thought that Laura was killed by hunters. And that's understandable. Her body was cut in half by hunters. And it was the pieces of her body were placed specifically to bait him mm -hmm. by hunters and the rest of his family was killed by hunters. It's a perfectly reasonable conclusion. Um, and I feel like the spiral was kind of like a promise to punish her killer or killers himself. Yeah. 
when he finds out that it wasn't hunters and it was the alpha that's obviously a huge revelation but he still doesn't know who the alpha is mm-hmm. and you know exactly <clears throat> what circumstances led up to Laura's death when he finds out it's Peter and Peter tells him that he wasn't in control I feel like the reason that Derek buys into that is because it reinforces what he already believes, which is that everything has happened is his fault. Derek's Mm -hmm. not Peter's, but Derek's because in his mind, he's the one who caused the fire. Yeah. And therefore caused Peter to go through this massive trauma that left him in a state where he was no longer in control of his instincts. Yeah. Um, and so he decides at that point that he is going to be Peter's beta. I don't think he likes that. He certainly doesn't seem like happy to have Peter yeah. back in his life. And I think yeah. that's understandable. But I do think there's part of him that feels more comfortable being a beta and specifically being a beta with an alpha who is his family. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of harkens back to an earlier time for him. But then all of that comes crashing down when Scott proves to him that Peter had every intention of killing Laura, that it, yeah. this was not manslaughter. It was just murder. And I, I, I agree. I think that's the moment where he's like, I'm going to do this myself. Yeah. I'm it, going to kill him with my own hands. Like I originally sort of promised Laura I was going to do to avenge her. Yeah. I also feel like he needed to be the one to do it because he'd already been betrayed once by Kate and he hadn't been the one able to kill Kate. And I still think like as much as he wanted to kill Kate, I think he would hesitate because she is human. And I feel like, you know, he, Derek, I don't feel like wants to kill people. He like Styles sees what's necessary when Scott tries to find other ways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think Derek really struggles, not because he'd still love Kate, but because there's just, there's so much anger there. I, I think he would even know like how, like, I think he'd almost be worried that killing her wouldn't fix anything and he wants it to fix everything. Uh, but I feel like with Peter, he feels like, he can't let someone so close to him get away with betraying him again. Like he believed what Peter said and now he found out Peter lied to him and he just, he killed his sister, his alpha, and he needs to do this. He needs to kill Peter. Yeah. Speaking of Peter, let's talk about Peter and Kate. Yeah. I think they should have just hate and gotten that over with. My God. So my headcanon was that Peter and Kate hate back in the day and planned the fire together. And they each had like this idea that they were basically basically gonna like betray the other one. Yeah. But she beat him to it. Like he wanted her to set the fire so that I also think he believed he would inherit the alpha powers. Yeah. I know we don't quite get on the show like 
that's how that works, but it makes but the most sense to me. That's my headcanon as well, that that basically there's an unspoken line of succession. And if the alpha dies and their alpha hood doesn't pass on to the person who killed them, either because it's not a murder or because they're killed by someone who's not a werewolf or, or what have you, that their alpha-ness would pass on to whoever's next in line. That is definitely my headcanon and yeah. I will not believe anything else. Yeah. So I, following that headcanon, uh, I believe Peter thought that he would be the next to get it. And I mean, especially if everyone else was in the house being set on fire and then uh, she Kate betrayed him and set the house on fire while he was inside of it. And then he just spent all that time in the coma stewing about not just that he suffered through that, but then that she got the better of him. Yeah. And it's so horrific, but along with his headcanon, Kate never needed to do what she did to Derek. It was just another horrible thing she just did to amuse herself. Well, I mean, we don't know any of this, but, you know, because the tell isn't or the um, on fire is on not fire. canon. But like, I mean, like, like she didn't have to seduce him. Well, if she was in with it on Peter, with Peter, like she, she'd have. No oh, if she was in on it with Peter. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Like, I'm talking, yes. Sorry. I'm talking about all my <laughs> canon relating to like, if Peter and Kate had been yeah. in on it together with a fire, yes. but then. But so it's like conditional him. on that. Yeah. Because yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if they so, were in on it together, she would have known. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah there would have been no need for for Derek no 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 so I guess she could have gotten from Derek instead of Peter when they'd be most vulnerable and that Peter would be in the house too yeah right because that that is in on fire one of the things that she gets from him is it's wolf moon that's when the whole family he doesn't say pack because he never actually tells her that he is a werewolf um but he he tells her it's a family reunion, I think. And so yeah. everyone's in town. Everyone's under the same roof. So it, it could be that, that like she she was getting that from Derek and she didn't necessarily need to do everything that she did. But that was the piece of information that she was trying to get from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor Derek. No one even goes to check on him after Kate shoots him again. <laughs> He's just always just left to the side, bleeding out. He is. That is true for almost everything that ever happens to Derek. The show could just be titled Poor Derek. (laughs) It would be more accurate than Teen Wolf. (laughs) Over here, getting shot, beaten, electrocuted. I mean. But it sucks, yes. But it does. I feel like this is the beginning of many moments like that. And they all directly lead to 3A when he corners Cora and Boyd in the, in the basement and he takes them on, or he doesn't even take them on. He just holds them while they destroy him. And he comes out so miraculously in one piece after lots of healing until they just tire themselves out and, and the, the werewolfness or the, the full moonness gets out of their system and all that. So it's like all that, all the times that Derek is, shot beat up and all that it's just leading towards that moment where he's just like i know i can do it it's like i know it has to be done i'm gonna do it he like passes out upright yeah like before before they come in he's actually like unconscious but kneeling yeah until someone is like oh shit that's right and comes to get him 
But yeah, I do feel like that too is, is classic Derek where they're like, we really don't know what to do. We have these two moon crazy werewolves. We've cornered them, but they're just, they're just a force of nature right now. And, uh, you know, I feel like Derek is the immovable object in this yeah. equation. Yeah, Derek is, that's great. That's really good. He's always the immovable object opposing the unstoppable force. Yeah. You know, I mean, granted, all our Scott and all our heroes do that too, but he's the one that I feel like push comes to shove. He's he, The buck he, stops here. The buck stops with Derek, always. Yeah. And he'll either not give up or die. Like those are like the options I feel like in his brain. He's like either I stop this thing or I die. And then, Hey, I tried. So. Yeah. He gets a gold star on the kindergarten board of life. Yes. <laughs> Next to Derek Hale tried so hard. He failed many times, but he tried every time. Yeah. All he can do is try. Also. I feel like this would have been a, uh, Perfect proof that if the Stalinskis had struggled to find a babysitter for baby Styles because he was so ADHD and he was basically like just a little baby tornado, just destroying everything in its path that Derek could have babysat him successfully because he can withstand a baby tornado. I am 100% sure that fic probably exists somewhere. Probably. Do you have a link? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Calissa, were you telling me that Tyler Hecklin had some interesting Teen Wolf headcanons that you'd be interested in learning more about? I would love to read an entire book written by Hecklin about his headcanons for Derek Hale and the Hale family because I've heard him speak about them in like interviews and during panels and stuff. And I just love it. And he had so much like thought that he put into the character. And I just want to know everything about it. Yeah, I I, cool. I love that. It's it's always interesting to hear what actors have formulated in their heads because pretty much no matter how much you explore a character on the page or on the screen, there's always more to them, right? If you mm -hmm. think of them as a real person, people are yeah. complicated. And it's it's really neat knowing that actors think about all those facets. And in something like this, um, where I think a lot of people saw the promos or hear the name Teen Wolf and kind of roll their eyes and stuff. So I, I feel like it's almost like a sign of respect to the fans that like, no, I've put thought into this. Right. Yeah. I've considered like, where did this leather jacket come from? Why does it mean something to me? You know, stuff like that. I, I think that's great. Yeah. No, absolutely. And since we are in spoilers, when Kate did come back in season four as the Nawal or a Nawal, there was brief talk about uh, Peter and Kate maybe <laughs> having a hate <laughs> session. Oh, uh, it didn't last God. very long, but it, why not? <laughs> just the story. I think as we as the story was being broken for the season, it just didn't make sense Fit. for this to actually work out. But I mean, if that happened. Disappointment happened. of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Also, we wanted to give a great big special thanks to everyone for joining us on the rewatch of the first season. 
This all started when Calissa suggested we do a podcast celebrating the 10th anniversary of Teen Wolf's premiere. Still can't believe that. And we haven't looked back since. We're a small podcast, but your love and outpouring of support means the world to us. And we just wanted to tell you that we couldn't have done it without you, the listeners. The closing of this first season has come so fast, and we're incredibly excited to dive into season two with all of you. Thank you so much again from the bottom of our hearts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout out. Have a great week and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.